Welcome to Karura's weekly podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to journey with us. We hope your spiritual life will be transformed as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. Thank you, Pastor George. And I'm not difficult to get. I'm not difficult to find, uh, Reverend uh, Shiramba. I told you earlier in the first service, you want me, there's got to be Nyamachoma around. If there's no Nyamachoma, you can look for me forever. We'll see you in heaven where there will be Nyamachoma. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's been quite a number of years since I was last with you. And uh, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to come and see what God has continued to do in this place. In fact, I was just sending a, a WhatsApp to Reverend uh, Gary. And just telling him, thank you, Pastor Ngari, for being the faithful man of God that you have been all through the years. When the church started many, many, many years ago, this was the first church that we planted. Um, you know, we sent Reverend Gary to come and begin the church. And he's been here ever since. And I'm one of those people who believes in a long pastorate. I have been at the chapel now for the last uh, 30, I believe it's 30, almost 33 years now. And uh, intend to keep going until the Lord tells me it's time to stop and move on to the next thing. But uh, thank God for Reverend Gary and for his faithfulness and for the industry of his work. Uh, this used to be coffee land with nothing on it. And now look at it and what God has done, the buildings you're putting up, the children's ministry, the youth ministry. What a cause of joy to be able to come back and to see what you have been able to accomplish over these years. And I want to thank God for um, Reverend Shiramba who joined in in these recent, these recent years. And uh, he's just such a good shepherd. You have a good pastor in Reverend Shiramba. He's my pastor. Reverend Shiramba, you're my pastor. You don't have to take me to Nyamachoma. You, you get a pass. You get a pass. <laughs> we wish. <laughs> you could try. Anyway. I want to focus on uh, what I was invited to do, and I will say thank you, uh, Reverend Shiramba, for pointing it out. A number of, uh, I think a while back, I preached a series at uh, the Nairobi Chapel um, that I called Prison Break. And really the reason I called it that is because I felt so many of us are feeling trapped in debt and in loans and in struggle and in hustling and it's as though we're in a prison and we need freedom to break out of that and it's not because god hasn't given us a lot he has but just even understanding how money works and how to you know build wealth and those sorts of things a lot of people don't i was i'll tell you my story next week but i was actually about 43 years old when you know i got to understand how money works and i was in a panic when i realized Wow, you know, so many years have passed and I've never really understood money and I do and I realize I've run out of time and I was in a panic. And so I wanted to preach on something that would give people freedom from the anxiety that money can generate. And uh, it's available on the, on the web and you're welcome to listen to it. I had, I believe, eight or ten weeks to preach on it. And so I'm going to detail on a lot of things. I can't in one, two sermons. And so I won't in this you know, in these two Sundays, I've picked just the two most important things I think we need to learn. But there's so much more that could be said. And so feel free to go to that because it will allow you to learn a lot more than I could do today or next week. But over the next two weeks, I want to 
focus on this series that is reset and uh, today my intention is to help us reset our definition of wealth what is wealth how do we measure wealth are you wealthy am i wealthy now i know that irrespective of how much we presently earn all of us are feeling the pinch of covid and what covid has done to our economy the rising cost of living every week that my wife is in the supermarket she comes back and tells me everything has gone up by five shillings ten shillings you know seven shillings and the inflation rate has actually been quite high uh, the stress of rent and fees and basic necessities even now when industries may not be doing well the stress of financing our desired lifestyle and maybe none of us here today feel rich ask your neighbor turn to your neighbor and ask them this question and for the young guys here i'll say this you get one more chance at this okay if next sunday you come and sit strategically close to next to that girl that you're benign i will give you a chance to have a conversation with her for today since you sat next to that old mama or you sat next to that old muse you don't get anything okay but turn to him and ask him are you rich now if you're asked that question don't answer because he may come and visit you tonight so you don't want him to answer okay but maybe none of us really feels that we're wealthy next week i will talk about the ways to create wealth and we'll talk specifically about money but today i want to focus on this matter of how we define wealth and this is the lesson i want to teach you there is more to wealth to a rich life than material means there is more to wealth than just money and if your life is defined by the amount of money or the material possessions that you have then you are a poor man even though the world tells you that you are successful and wealthy there is more to a rich life than just wealth that's what i'm going to try and teach you today and my hope is that by the time you walk out of here later on in the morning you will be able to say to yourself there is more to wealth than just the amount of money i have in the bank or the value of the material possessions i have been able to acquire over the years or whatever it is and i want to do that by giving you three definitions of wealth okay the first one is just for the sake of you know fun don't take me seriously okay the second one is i want you to understand how wealth is tabulated okay and then the third one i want us to turn to scripture and ask a question how would scripture begin to define wealth so the first one i want to ask you a question how many of you here when you sleep at night when you lie down at night sleep on your stomach anyone here who sleeps on their stomach yes reverend shiramba anyone else yeah there are quite a number of hands going up amazing okay how many of you uh when you uh sleep at night sleep on your side you know on your side 
Yes, I'm one of those who sleep on my side. Yes, quite a number of people. In fact, maybe the majority. How many of you, when you sleep at night, sleep on your back? Okay, there's a young boy there that sleeps on his back. Anyone else? Raise your hand so that I can see it. Yes, yes, yes. There are people who here sleep on their back. Did you know that it is said that those who are poor sleep on their stomach? Because of the hunger pains, you know? And so they sleep on the stomach so that their stomach can be squeezed and, you know, it doesn't feel empty and they can survive the night. Paul Esana, Reverend Chiramba. Okay? Now you know what your pastor feels, okay? He does not see himself as a rich man. He sleeps on his stomach. The middle class sleep on their side, okay? So if you sleep on your side, you're your middle class. Because the wealthy have such big stomachs that they can't sleep on their stomach, they sleep on their back so that their stomach has space. You know, it has room. They have eaten a lot. You know, they've got a public opinion and they need to sleep on their back. Now, I'll tell you a problem. I sleep on my side and my wife sleeps on her back. So she must have money I don't know about. Because <laughs> we sleep middle class and she sleeps wealthy. <laughs> but this is just, I mean, you and I know that's a very, you know, uh, inadequate definition of wealth. But there are a lot of definitions of wealth out there that are inadequate and even wrong. This one means nothing, so you can laugh at it. But how many of you know that people count your wealth by the car you drive? People count your wealth by where you live. If you're in Runda, or if you're in, you know, Mothaiga, or if you're in... How many of you know people count your wealth by the designer clothes you wear? All these are inadequate definitions of wealth. And yet they tend to be the, you know, defining definitions that people go by. Because that's what they think wealth is about. But it's inadequate. Believe it or not, half the SUVs parked around here, you know, outside here, they belong to the bank. They don't belong to the person who drove it up. Half the houses, you know, we live in are not ours, even though we look so good in them. Those designer clothes from, came from Bangkok market. Don't, define, don't, don't, don't deceive yourselves. They came from Bangkok market where things are sold secondhand. You know, we, we, we have so many wrong definitions of wealth that we're trying to live up to and it is not adequate. So let me give you a, a better, uh, you know, a better definition, okay, that pertains to this country of Kenya and actually pertains globally. In 2014, Ipsos, the research organization that does, you know, the political polls and those sorts of things, it does a lot of research, I mean, research on uh, society and community and etc. They, they released a paper on wealth in Kenya. And this is what they said, okay? Kenya is a pyramidical society. There's a triangle up on the screen that you can see. This is the social shape of Kenya. What that means is there are very few people at the top of the wealth scale, so to say, and the majority of Kenyans are at the bottom. 
Okay, now if you go to other societies, say go to Germany, for example, the social shape of Germany does not look like this one of Kenya. Kenya's is a triangle. Many African countries are triangles. In Germany, the social shape of the society is like an egg. It's an oval, okay? There are quite a lot of people at the top and there are few people at the bottom. The bulk, the majority of the population are in the middle class. Not so with Kenya. Especially what the research found. This is what it found. That the uber rich in this country make up 1% of the population. Those of you who follow politics, particularly in the Western Hemisphere and America in particular, will know Bernie Sanders and he's talking about the 1%. The 1% in Kenya are the uber rich. Do you know how much they earn? If you take the wife's salary and the husband's salary and you take their benefits like medical, which can be, you know, interpreted into cash value, and you take, you know, school fees benefits if they have that, maybe even car benefits because their fuel and such is paid for them, and you take, uh, what else, what other benefit can they have? Pension, you know, that's a benefit that has monetary value, and you take everything that the wife earns and everything that the husband earns, the uber rich in this country bring home per month more than 500,000 Kenyan shillings a month. That may mean that the husband is earning 200,000, bringing home the equivalent of 200,000, and the wife is bringing home the equivalent of, you know, 300,000. Or they both bring 250, 250. Or one brings 80,000 and the other one brings the equivalent of 420,000. But if you earn as a couple, as a household, more than 500,000 Kenyan shillings a month, you are part of the 1% of this country. It's probably very likely that without having known that figure, you have counted yourself as a hustler. You're not a hustler. You're in the 1% of Kenya. So, my dear friend, Reverend Shiramba, start sleeping on your back. <laughs> because you and Shelly, I'm sure, are part of that one person. <laughs> okay. But that's the one percent, and that's the line. The next category in Kenya is the middle class. The middle class in this country make up six percent of the population. That's about, you know, how many? How many people? We're a population of about 44 million. 44, maybe going on to about 49. So the 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 you know six percent. I'm getting myself into trouble here. Somebody save me. What is six percent of 44 million? Somebody call it out. You have a phone, use a phone. Tell me how many people make up 66. So sorry, four percent. Six percent, six percent, sorry. How many? Around seven million. About seven million. The middle class in Kenya make up six percent of the population. That's about seven million people. So if you take 7.5 million, because one percent, the Uber rich, make up about 450 you know, thousand people, and then the seven million, 7.5% of this country 
make up the middle class and the 1%. The middle class in Kenya is only 6% of our population. And they earn anything, listen to this, and don't fall off your seat. They earn anything from 50,000 Kenyan shillings to 500,000. If you're in that bracket, as a couple, as a household, not necessarily just as an individual, but if you earn between 50,000 on the lower side up until 500,000, you are part of the middle class of this nation. It's very likely that a good number of us fall into that category. We are not poor. The next category of people make up 43% of this nation. The bulk of this nation is in that category. 43% of this nation. They make anything between 5,000 shillings and 50,000 shillings. These are your watchmen. They are your shop stewards. They are, you know, a lot of the people in Kenya. These are what you could call the hustlers. Anything between 5,000 and 50,000 shillings, not just as an individual, but you and your spouse bring home the equivalent between 5,000 and 50,000. They are called the working poor or the low, you know, um, the low income people, somewhere between 5,000 and 50,000. And this is the biggest single category in our country, 43%. Now think about it. The watchman who guards you at night, okay, comes from this super fancy, you know, uh, security company. They have amazing uniforms. You see all their four-wheel drive pickups, you know, double cabin pickups parked all over the place, and uh, they all look like soldiers and etc. That guy probably earns something like 8,000 shillings a month. On that 8,000, he has to feed his children, he has to pay rent, he has to clothe them, he has to, you know, um, pay school fees and to every, support his mother in, in the rural area and do everything that is needed on that salary alone. And you're earning 100,000. You are not poor. And you are not a hustler. 43% of our nation is there. The line that is drawn at the bottom of that 43% is an important line. Because poverty is defined as those who fall under that line. And these are the people in terms of globally. Poverty is defined as those who earn less than $2 a day. Now, let's be generous and say that they work every day of the month. So they're bringing home $60. $60 times, you know, times... Uh, the, the cost of conversion, forex, of uh, the dollar to Kenyan shillings, works out to about 7,000 shillings. So anybody in this country who brings home less than 7,000 shillings is considered to be below the poverty line. They make up 40% of our nation. 40% of this nation lives below the poverty line. But if you add your numbers up, you can see we haven't gotten to 100%. Because the last category 
are those who are called the destitute poor. They have nothing. They bring home nothing. And they, at the very best, bring zero to 500 shillings a month. They sleep on the streets. They sleep under the bridges. They are in the darkest place of the slums. Not just the slum, but the darkest corners of the slum. And they are the destitute poor. Rural poverty in this country can be 10 times worse than urban poverty. And many of them are found in the rural areas. Many of them are elderly that have been abandoned and they don't have people to care for them and they're just waiting to die. They make up 10% of our nation. So 60%, sorry, 50% of this nation lives under the poverty line. 43% are the low income earners. The middle class makes up 6% and the uber rich make up 1%. Now, if you define wealth and poverty by those statistics that are true of Kenya, it is an affront if you call yourself poor and you're earning 100,000. It is a slap in the face for the people who are really poor. They could not even understand what you're complaining about. They do not even know how if your income is 100,000, you what do you do with that sort of money? I could live on one month's salary for a year and you say you're poor. Do you know what the plight of the poor in this country is? You are not poor. It's your definition that is wrong. And we all like to call ourselves hustlers. There are politicians in this country who call themselves hustlers. Do they even know what it is to walk a kilometer? Have they ever, ever been on a matatu? Do they even know what it is to go hungry without a meal one night? They are not hustlers. They are the uber rich. And it is an affront on anyone who is poor that they would define themselves as poor hustlers. Now just to make this sort of sink in even deeper is this recognition. The global definition of the middle class around the world in Europe or in Japan or in America there is a line Here's a surprising thing. The global definition of middle class is those who earn anything between 600,000 Kenyan shillings a month per household to 1 million shillings. That category of 600,000 Kenyan shillings to 1 million shillings is considered to be the global definition of the middle class. That's what most Americans earn. They're in that category and they make up the middle class. Or if I convert it into dollars, the real figure that defines the middle class is 60,000 US dollars per annum per household. That's a middle class globally. So our figures in Kenya are not far off. And if you're in that category, then you compare with the global middle class per household, husband and wife, what they bring in. We need to redefine our understanding of poverty. And even though we struggle to make ends meet, 
We do so because of the choices we've made in terms of our expenditure, not because we're poor. God has already given you. God has already blessed you. The question is, what are you doing with it? And we'll be looking at that next week. But let me turn now to the third thing that I want us to focus on, and it is to ask then. We had the one, you know, sort of silly definition of what poverty is, how you sleep, okay? And then this definition that is reflective of our country. But let me, let me, let me move over to what the Bible says or defines, how it defines wealth, okay? Another, I want to begin by something that was written in the book of Proverbs by one of the authors of Proverbs in Proverbs 30, chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. And it was Agar, the son of Jakeh, who writes and he says this. Let me read it. I'm paraphrasing it. God, I'm asking for two things before I die. Please don't refuse me. And the first thing I'm asking you for God is this. Keep falsehood and lies far away from me. Let me be an honest man who embraces the truth. Please hear me, God. That's his first prayer. But then he goes on and says, But the second thing that I ask of you, God, is give me enough food to live on. Give me my daily bread. Don't give me too much money or too little. Because if I have too much, I get proud and I will say, God, why do I need him? Who is he? And if I have too little, if I'm poor, then I might steal and dishonor your name. What an amazing prayer that is. Don't give me too much and don't give me too little. This is what the son of Agar, or rather Agar, is saying. He's saying, Lord, keep me in the middle class or the lower middle class. That's where I want to be positioned in terms of wealth. Keep me where I can just feed my family and put food on the table and so we don't have to sleep hungry. Lord, hear my prayer and do not, do not deny me. Keep me where I will always feel as though I'm hustling. Don't make me rich. Lord, keep me where money is tight and I'm just able to pay my bills if I'm very careful. Keep me where my lack forces me to kneel and pray and keeps me humble. I'm asking you, Lord, Please keep me where faith and faith alone is my hope. Keep me where I don't have the fake security of a big fat bank account with many possessions and never have to think about money. Lord, keep me where I will never become proud or arrogant towards you. Give me neither riches nor poverty but give me only my daily bread. How could the author of Proverbs write these words? And I want to say, I think it's because the amount of money you have is not the true definition of wealth. The car you drive, the perfume you use, the designer clothes you wear, the bling you drape yourself with, these are not the definition of what true wealth is. So we have to ask them, then what is, how do we define wealth 
if it's not about the money I have because we're being told that money is a final determinant. You know, how much do I have in the bank? What is my, you know, my, my, my value? Um, do I have a positive value? What about assets? What about pension? What about retirement funds? You know, how do I define wealth if it's not about money? I think the scripture points to nine things that define wealth for us. Let me walk you through them very quickly. We're going to have a chance to come back to them, um, you know, next next um, week. The first is Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1. This is what it says. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed better than silver and gold. You see, what is rich because they have a good name. And a good name is better than money, than gold, than silver. These things that we think are the sign of wealth. To have a good name means that people esteem me, that people respect me, not because of my title, not because of my office, but because of my integrity, because you're an honest person, because you are kind, because you're caring, that people can approach you. A good name is better than silver and gold. How sad it is then when in the pursuit of wealth, people climb over each other's heads to advance themselves and get rich and they sacrifice generosity and they pay their staff poorly and they compromise on integrity and they're doing backhand deals and they're generally known as hard-hearted and mean and crooks and somebody that no one can trust. To forsake your name for the sake of money, what you get at the end of it is really poverty because money is not the determinant. A good name is a rich inheritance that we can leave behind for our children. You know, somebody has said, do not make the mistake of cursing your children with great wealth. Why? Because our middle class children and our rich children are growing up in a place where they do not understand the value of the things that they have around them. They do not understand the, the value of industry. They do not understand the value of you know pursuing things, of working hard. And there is a new phenomenon that you find in society today, here and around the world, among the middle class and the rich, that they raise children who are entitled and do not know how to value the industry of their parents who built up the wealth. They're what you call pink men. Men who cannot bring home an income. Men who do not know how to look after a family. Men who do not know what leadership is. Men who do not know how to go out and work and be a provider. Instead, they wait to be provided for by their spouses. They are happy to stay at home and play video games while their wife goes to look for money and bring home an income. Pink men. You don't find pink men among the poor. They know what industry is. It's our kids who just stand the chance of becoming these pink men who are not able to provide. Do not curse your child with great wealth. And there are those parents who say to their children, why are you 
troubled about getting a job when all these things that I have are going to be yours anyway. So the guy sits and waits for dad to die because it's all mine. In fact, if dad is taking too long to die, I can help him a little. I'm sure you've heard of those sorts of stories even in this country. The first indicator, let me put it this way, I am rich because I have a good name. And it is an inheritance that I will leave for my children. The second indicator of, of wealth is what the Bible says in Mark chapter 8 verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and become stinkingly wealthy, own many houses and cars, have a big fat bank account full of money, and even have all the money in the world they would ever want, and yet lose their soul? The second indicator of wealth is eternal life. Because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. And any of you here who know Christ as your Lord and Savior and have embraced the cross of Christ as having paid for your sins, you are wealthy. You know, money will only take you to the grave, up until the grave. It cannot then enter into eternity and be of profit for you. You can't carry it over. The pharaohs were buried with everything they had, all their gold, their plates, everything. 2,000 years later, those graves were opened up and everything was stolen because they did not carry it with them into the next life, into eternity. I am rich because I have Christ in my heart. And one of the inheritances that I can give my children, even where I cannot give them millions and houses and cars, is I can give them the wealth of eternity by leading them to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. The third definition of wealth, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 11 through 12. Ecclesiastes says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of wisdom is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. In other words, you could equate the value of wisdom in monetary terms and it is better because not only is it wealth, but it also preserves the life of its possessor. If you are given the opportunity to have wisdom or to have money, take wisdom. This is why. It is a good investment for those who are young among us to go to school and instead of saying, you know, Dad, you can give me a million shillings. No, Dad, don't give me a million shillings. I'll just go and spend it and waste it and buy trinkets and bottles of perfume and all manner of, you know, useless things. Instead, Dad, can you pay my fees? I do a master's in my discipline. That is wisdom of greater value than, sil than silver and gold. This is what the Bible says about wisdom in Psalm 111 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who obey him and do what he commands will acquire understanding. Those who obey him and command him 
will and do his commands will acquire understanding. In other words, if you want wisdom, the place to begin is by knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior, by walking with God, by obeying the scriptures, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's where wisdom begins. If you don't have Christ, if you don't know who God is, if God is not your friend, then you do not have wisdom. You will go through life trying to put and hold life together. You will make mistakes that the scriptures could so easily have taught you. This wisdom has preserved my life, has preserved my marriage, has preserved my pursuits, has preserved my conduct, has preserved my character. And the wealth I have as a result of that wisdom that cannot be equated with monetary value is very deep. Because after 35 years of marriage, I have a good relationship with my wife. I have good conduct and hopefully good character that nobody can ever point fingers at me and say, you know, I was once put in jail as a pastor. And the problem was that uh, I had opened up my gate in the morning and driven out and I didn't realize that our little dog had run out of the gate. And there was somebody walking, you know, down the road who was afraid of dogs and when they saw the dog they they jumped and fell and injured themselves badly i took them to hospital you know went through everything and they were okay but they then went and filed a case with the police about my dangerous dog that had you know caused them bodily harm and the police called me and they told me you know mr kiwa and uh, the person wants to go to court and i tried everything i could to stop him but he wasn't willing so Finally, we ended up in court. And the police told me, you must come and put it in the occurrence book because there's somebody who loves that dog and they will come after you. You know, you, you should have come and put it in the occurrence book. Then there would have been hope for you. But because you didn't, you go to court. So we went to court and the judge listened and, you know, finally he said, um, you know, the person was, was uh, I paid medical and etc., but because you did not report this occurrence, I will charge you 1,000 shillings. I did not know you never go to court alone. Okay? Because they told me you need to go and pay 1,000 shillings and then you're off. So I told them, okay, I have the money here. Can I go and pay? And they told me, Abana, well, Mr. Kiwa, you go to jail. You know, send somebody else to pay. And I said, but, but it's just over there. They said, no, you are going over there. And I tried to plead with them and they took me into their cells. I have the money, but I can't go and pay. And I don't know what to do. And, you know, they were, so they went and they knew I was a pastor. And so they went and, you know, the place, it was on a Monday. The place was filled with people who had been picked up over the weekend, drunk and such. And, you know, the cop would come in and say, Who gave you permission to sit down? And everybody would stand up. And then he'd say, but where, Pastor Ketty Apple? Pastor Ketty Five minutes later, he'd be back and he'd say, And then they'd tell me, Pastor, where you And they did this a number of times, and it's just intimidating you so that you can talk to them. And finally, one pastor came, and said, Pastor, 
ni nini umestakiwa ni pesa ya kanisa ni, ni sadaka uliiba <laughs> eventually a friend saw me in there and he went and paid and then i was let out okay but my dear friends wisdom is better than monetary value let me say this in the negative wisdom is better than silver and gold but those who do not fear the lord and do not obey the commands of god have no wisdom and all they can hope for to get in this life is foolishness and maybe a little silver and gold wisdom is wealth let me let me walk you through the others okay the the fourth one is community and deep friends God made us to be social beings and there is nothing more beautiful than friends that you can walk through life and they are friends who would lay down their life for you cultivate these deep friendships because they are wealth number 5 I'm moving quickly now is good health good health is worth more than all the silver and gold you could amass because when your health goes sour it doesn't matter how much you have health will preserve you health will keep you alive and able to move and you cannot buy health beyond a very low minimal um point look after your health and if you have health then you are rich number 6 children who honor and love me the bible says that children are a blessing Now if you are some parents they will tell you no 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 children my children are a curse they have some bored me they are deviant they have gone astray and they have caused me much pain and headache and heartache now it's true that we can't mathematically predict or prescribe how children will turn out in their adulthood but often times what happens to the children is as a direct result of your investment in their lives particularly in the first 5 to 10 years of their life and i kid you not guys the pursuit of money which so often times is at the expense of parenting busy absent fathers busy absent mothers cannot parent the children that pursuit of wealth will rob you of one of the greatest sources of wealth which is to have a joyous happy relationship with your children who bless you and as the bible says are a crown upon your head you can buy them expensive toys you can take them on exquisite journeys and holidays you can pay your house help tons of money to look after them for you you can take them to posh schools but nobody can parent your children for you one of our greatest joy as a couple is because our children are out of the home about 10 times a year we gather together for our wedding anniversary maybe a birthday maybe a holiday to sit around the table and to enjoy each other to talk to catch up with each other to laugh to prepare food together to have long meals there is no greater joy as a parent and we glow for days after when our children have been with us i am rich because of the relationship with my kids number 7 a purpose to live for 
Pity the man who does not know why he gets up in the morning and has nothing to do. Work. God created us to work, to be industrious. He created us to look after the earth, to nurture the creation, and to till the ground. We are made to work. And the only rest that the Bible talks about is after we are passed away and have gone into eternity. Then we will rest. The Bible doesn't actually talk about retirement. There is only one verse in the scriptures that talks about retirement because it was never God's plan for us. It was that we would work to the end of our days and whether it's big work, hard work, labor work or not, of course the elderly need to rest, but they continue to have value even as they work. Retirement was created as a concept about 200 years ago by the German counselor Otto von Bismarck in 1889. And he did it so that the older people could move out of employment and young people would have a chance to now be employed. It's a false category. God created us as workers and therefore to have no purpose. Nothing gets you up in the morning you will slip into dementia and eventually you will die. Have you ever heard the saying that nobody survives retirement? Everybody who goes into retirement dies. Number eight, a heart that overflows with gratitude. The Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Many of us live the life of seeing the half empty glass instead of the half full glass. What we have and what God has given us. Instead we see what others have and what we don't have. And so we spend our days whining about what I don't have and desiring to live the life of the guy next to me because he has what I don't have. But you know that guy next to you looks at your life and says, I wish I could live their life. Because he doesn't see what he has, he sees what you have. The problem is not their life, it's not your life. The problem is your heart. That your heart has not had the cultivation of gratitude. You don't know how to say thank you for what God has given you. You don't know how to say thank you for the wonderful people around you. You don't know how to say thank you for a good night's rest. And this, you know, the food that you have, it may not be fancy hotel food, but the food that you have. You don't know how to say thank you for the beauty of creation and the gift of life and the gift of good health. If you begin to cultivate a heart of gratitude, you will be overwhelmed by how rich you are with what you already have. So number nine, okay? Number nine, the final indicator of good health is material sufficiency, money. I like the word material sufficiency more than I like the word money because material sufficiency is different things for different people. But it boils down to the basics. It boils down to a roof over your head, food on the table, good health, the ability to pay your medical bills and not to chase after life. You know, we want eternal life on this earth and we think if we have enough money, we can get eternal life. If I get cancer, I go to India. If India can't heal me, I go to Europe. I go to Germany. If Germany can't heal me, I go to America. And I'm looking after eternal life. 
but money cannot buy you eternal life. Material sufficiency means acknowledge. The day for me and my going to be the Lord has come. I'm not afraid of death. I will move on to the next life because it is in that life that I will enjoy good health for eternity. Material sufficiency means that I am able to educate my children and they don't need to go to posh schools. I'm able to feed my family and we don't need to eat burgers and bacon and butter and all those things that are killing you. Ugali and Sukumawiki is quite fine. That's material sufficiency. If you live the life of material sufficiency, it's not an expensive life. It is when you add on all the wants of life as opposed to the needs of life that you will never have enough. These nine things, I believe collectively are the things that define wealth. A good name, the gift of eternal life, God's wisdom to guide me, a community of friends who I enjoy through the years, good health. Number six, children who honor me and love me. Number seven, a purpose to live for. Number eight, a heart that overflows with gratitude. And number nine, material sufficiency. This is what real wealth is. And many of us here are rich. Even if we don't have much money, because God has given us these things. Next week, we're going to look at material sufficiency and money and how to build wealth. But if we don't first define a true definition of wealth, we'll be focused on money alone. And money does not deliver wealth. You may buy many things and yet live a broken, you know, burned out life because of money. Lose your children, lose your marriage, lose your friends. That is not wealth. Wealth is these things and material sufficiency has a place but it is not the defining factor let's leave it at that for today i want to invite my wife to come and lead us in a word of prayer as we conclude and we'll see you next week so please pastor b please come forward and lead us in prayer the theme of this church and this morning we ask that you would reset us you have told us in 2 Peter 1.3 that you have provided everything we need for life and for godliness and today your word has unpacked that for us and we are grateful I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters here and with them to ask, Oh Lord, would you open our eyes to see just how rich we are in you through your faithful provision, your presence in our lives. We want to say thank you that because you have taught us from scripture, we can enjoy the wealth of a good name. I want to pray for any brother or sister in this meeting or watching online who is struggling, tempted to compromise their good name and answer today. You speak to them and remind them to hold on to integrity, to hold on to Christian witness. I want to thank you, Lord, for the witness of your word that truly 
there is no other way to be secure in this life and the next other than through the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. I want to pray for anyone in this family of faith who has never made that decision. Sunday by Sunday, they are here listening, intending. Or would you bring them to the point of accepting you as Lord and Savior? That they may know the wealth of salvation. The confidence that as they face the challenges of everyday life, their eternal destiny is rich and secure. Would you draw people to yourself, Lord? May they do serious business with you and not wait for tomorrow. We want to thank you for the gift of wisdom and for being reminded the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We pray for anyone who's wrestling with decisions and saying, I don't know what to do. Would you cause their eyes to be open to see because they fear you and love you. You will show them the right path. May they not be afraid because guidance is a gift of your love. But we must be willing to receive it from you as our Lord and our friend. So would you pour out generously the gift of wisdom? Would you cause people to respond to you that each one of us may be confident as we face the uncertainties of life? We want to thank you for this community, for how people have loved each other in this place. And to ask that no one will be lonely, not even in this corona time. That those relationships you generously give would be availed to each person. That they may not be alone, but may be encouraged by others. That they may walk well together. That there may be deep, meaningful friendships for each person. We rejoice in the gift of good health that allows us to be even here. And we ask that we would know how to treasure it, that day by day we would make good decisions and secure that priceless gift that you've given us that money cannot buy. We want to bless you for our children and to ask that for those who are wrestling in this time with what should be their priorities, that they would choose to parent intentionally. That those parents who have not given it serious thought would bring their children to Jesus because the call is clear let the children, let the teenagers come to me. Let the young people come to me. That in the family the fellowship and at the family altar would be quick to draw our children into friendship with you. Oh, would you bless our children? Would you enable us to rejoice over the gift, the wealth of our children? We pray for purpose and direction. We pray for anyone who's asking that vital question, who am I? What am I doing here? would do help them be able to answer that even in this season and we ask that this church would have the DNA of gratitude that the families here both young and old would overflow with gratitude because of how good you have been to us and father we want to pray finally that you would allow us to know material sufficiency please hear the cry of the heart of anyone who is stuck and in dire need Please provide because you are a faithful God. In Psalms 103, you tell us you are a God of compassion, you are gracious, you are slow to anger, full of love. May your love overflow as people need it. May they meet with it. May they be ministered to by it. You say from everlasting to everlasting, endless eternity, your love is with those who fear you. Cause us to be your people who live in the fear and the love of the Lord. We know you will do this generously and as your people respond to your word and seek to obey you that you'll help them faithfully 
and may you receive the glory as we experience the wealth that we have in Christ the wealth that we have in this life and in the life to come because of everything that Jesus has done for us through the cross and through his resurrection and so this morning I bless your people with the blessing of your generous goodness and wealth in Jesus name we have prayed together amen and amen